Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. On the show, we talk about building startups in an organic, sustainable fashion, in a way that focuses more on your life, your personal life, and your lifestyle, rather than focusing on building a billion-dollar business. We like to value freedom, purpose, and relationships on the show. And you'll notice that while my co-host, Mike Tabor, is on hiatus, I've been experimenting and dabbling in a few different show formats. If you've enjoyed the, the change-up and the focus on improving the podcast quality, um, including the recent interviews with Laura Roeder and Jeff Epstein, as well as the Q&A sessions I've had with Tracy Osborne, Jordan Gall, as well as the hot seat with Matt Wensing, let me know. Reach out questions at startupswiththerestofus.com, or you can tweet it out. I appreciate any feedback you can provide. And of course, if you're able to give a five-star rating in any of the podcast apps you use, it's much appreciated. Today on the show, I'm doing a different intro because I'm trying something I don't know that we've ever done before. It's to do a throwback episode. And what I did is I went back through the archive and I picked out one of the all-time most popular episodes of this podcast. It's episode 14. It was published July 13th, 2010. So almost to the day, it was nine years ago. And what's also interesting is that when this episode went live, my second son was five days old. That's just an interesting coincidence. Now and again, I go back and listen to old shows. Typically, I don't go back prior to where the RSS feed is just because it's so hard to do. But this episode sparked a lot of conversation when it happened. And it's one of those where the content itself, I think, holds up pretty well, even nine years later. Some funny things I noticed re-listening to this episode is we just sound so young and so naive and so impressionable. The intro is slightly different. I'm going to play the whole episode. There's a Q&A section at the end. We did a whole episode of content and then two questions that I find are not that interesting. So I'm going to cut those out. But the intro uh, and the outro are slightly different, which I think is, is funny. The audio quality is, is not great, but it's also, you know, for our 14th episode and for it being 2010 and for us just figuring this out, it's, it's not, not so bad, but it's definitely a lot, a lot fuzzier than, than it is today, as well as the editing. You can hear the editing is really choppy because we didn't, didn't really know what we were doing back then. Now we have a professional editor and it's hilarious. My book launch, I talk about my book about to come out. I think I throw out a URL, but this is pre start small, stay small. So again, I wouldn't go back to an episode if I didn't think really the content is still so applicable. This is one of those evergreen, timeless episodes that I listen to and still get something out of. And I think that you will too, because this is something, it's about overcoming fear. And it's about overcoming fear in your own head, whether it's to launch that first blog post, launch that first podcast episode, launch an app, take a risk. And it, it just always applies. And I find that the conversation is as applicable today as, as it was then. And the, even the examples we use, you know, I, I think are still strong even here in 2019. So I hope you enjoy revisiting this topic, especially if you weren't a listener back nine years ago. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 14. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us, a podcast that helps developers be awesome at launching software products, whether you've built your first product or are just thinking about it. I'm Rob. And I'm Mike. And we're here to share our experience to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. What's new this week, Mike? 
I am having tons of fun getting a development box set up for a website. For those of you who don't know, Rob and I run uh, the Micropreneur Academy. It's more or less to help developers learn how to do sales and marketing for their products. And we've got tons and tons of content out there. But the problem that we have is that whenever we're doing changes to the site, because it's all built in WordPress, it's very difficult. One of the problems that we have is being able to do development work on that box without bringing it down or crashing it because we're making some changes and trying to see if they work. And what I've been doing lately is using this product called Jumpbox to essentially bring up a development server very quickly so that I can dump all the content onto that Jumpbox. And essentially what it is, if you go to jumpbox.com, they've got a couple of different pricing plans, but the one that I'm using is basically a LAMP stack. And it allows you to download a virtual machine and it's pre-configured with an OS, you know, and everything you need to just run a lamp stack and all you do is you, you fire it up it grabs an IP address and you specify a password for it and you can just log in and you're up and running in literally like three minutes after you've downloaded this jump box it's really really cool that's awesome how much time did you spend getting that going it probably took me more time to download it than anything else and it, the download really wasn't very large it was like a hundred 150 megs something like that for the jump box itself that I downloaded and like I said, they got a couple of different pricing plans. The first one's free, but then they've got like a pro version and a business version. And, you know, you can get a 15-day trial for free. So right. it's pretty cool. cool. Well, it's nice to have a, a dev environment. I know that's something we've talked about for a long time. Mm -hmm. Good. Anything else? Uh, no, that's about it. What about you? the hell have I been doing? Kid grief. Nothing. You slacker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been amazed at how much extra time this book has taken. The book's done. The final proof arrived. I ordered copies, going to the printer, you know, that whole thing. But like starting a company, you think that, that writing the actual code is going to be the bulk of the work, but that's like 50, 60% tops. And same thing with the book. Like I thought that putting together all the material and, and writing everything would be the bulk. But man, I've just had such a number of tasks to take care of, like building the sales website and getting emails out to the list and a number of other things, getting an ISBN number and working with formatting. And of course, I'm not a designer, so it takes me a long time to do that stuff. And it's not as easy to outsource as say HTML work, or maybe it is, but I just don't have the right contacts. I'm, I'm kind of out of my element with it. So I've chewed up a lot of time over the past week. And I actually made a, what I consider in retrospect, an error in judgment. I basically had a four hour estimate to create the sales website, which is just a one page thing, you know, click here to buy the PDF, click here to buy the paperback. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wound Wound up by the time I integrated with two payment processors, it took me 16 hours, <laughs> which was just painful. And the integration is not an integration; it's just a click an Amazon button and click a Google Pay button. It's not even like some fancy form that does it all. I mean, it's I was amazed at how long it took. So disappointed I, with it. I wasn't going to outsource it just because I literally thought it would take me two, and I had estimated four just to be on the high side. And by the time I got everything the way I wanted, it, it was way high. So in retrospect, definitely should have outsourced that. I can think of two other mistakes off the top of my head that you've made. Well, the first is I don't think we've actually talked about the fact that you were writing a book on this podcast. So no, I, no, we did on episode 11. <laughs> did we? All right. Yeah, I edited it today. My bad. All right, so we'll, we'll score that a point for you today then. Nice. Um, 
The other one, though, is that if you just ask me, my wife used to do print layout for a magazine. That's, so bastards, that's do- right. Uh, you've told me that like 10 times. Well, how did I not do that? Yeah, it's not going to look nearly as good as it would have if she gave it like 30 seconds of luck, I'm sure. Probably. Well, that's been my week. So if you're interested in the book, if you're listening to this, startupbook.net, it'll definitely be out and available in PDF and paperback format by the time this podcast goes live. You know, the other thing I wanted to mention this week is I was talking to someone about a week ago and they listened to the podcast and I was like, yeah, well, you know, you can stay in tune with my, what Mike and I do on our blogs. And he was like, oh, you guys blog? And I was like, man, that's it. like we've been doing this podcast for two months and we've been blogging for five years each. And I was like, oh, I thought the blog was kind of our deal. But anyways, I realized we've never mentioned our blog URLs or maybe in passing we have. But if people are interested in hearing more about this type of micropreneur stuff, my blog is softwarebyrob.com and Mike's blog is singlefounder.com. And this is where we actually write original articles and new posts on starting a software company and launching products and being a micropreneur and such. What are we discussing today? I think we actually had a listener comment from somebody on the uh, startupsfortherestofus.com website, right? That's right. So at startupsfortherestofus.com, that's where you can download and listen to all these episodes. And in episode one, a guy named Scott Herbert made a a text comment at the bottom. And he said, first, thanks for a podcast that doesn't think I have $10 million of VC funding and want to tell me how to spend it. Secondly, I'd love to hear a cast on fear. Someone has offered to review my application for their blog, and I'm scared by this. I said, yes, of course, but does it get any easier? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Cool. So the short answer to that is you did the right thing. And yes, it does get easier. And the key to making it easier, faster is to do it more often. But we'll obviously talk about that a little bit more. I think when it comes to fear, there's a couple of different options that you have. And I think I boil it down to four basic options that when you're faced with fear, these are your choices. You can either cave, which basically you give up. You can struggle with it and challenge it head on. Number three is you could accept it and kind of do nothing about it, but just kind of accept that you're fearful of that and there's just nothing you can do. And then the fourth one is you can try and work around that fear or try to avoid it. So if you're afraid of heights, you just never go into tall buildings or something like that. And some of those work better than others, but obviously challenging your fears head on is going to help you get over those fears a lot quicker. Rob, why don't you talk a little bit about what sort of things people are typically afraid of? I think this pertains specifically to business. We could talk about arachnophobia and fear of all sorts of weird other things like short people. But I think this question relates more specifically to building your own business. Yeah, the things that I most commonly see software developers and and people starting startups dealing with are thoughts like, what if nobody likes my software? What if nobody buys my software? What if I fail and I invest all this time and it's just wasted time? What if I can't get any traffic to my site? What if I don't get this right the first time? And what will other people think of me? Even if this does or doesn't work out, what will people think of me while this is going on? I think that's a big part of fear is dealing with how other people view you. I mean, it almost takes me back to junior high and high school. I think it takes all of us back that, you know, someone's going to laugh at us or make fun of us or point something out publicly that is just going to really embarrass us. So those are the most common fears. I think everything stems from the fear of failure and the fear of other people seeing you fail. I think that's kind of the biggest thing is that people seem to think that whatever they do or say, people think of that as a reflection of themselves, especially when they're writing software and they want to put it out there. 
I see people pushing off their software releases because they're afraid of what people are going to think of their software. They always say, I want to get it right. I want it to be perfect. And you know what? It's not going to be perfect. So you kind of have to get over that. Honestly, some people probably have a fear of launching a product. What do I do when those support calls come in? What do I do when a customer is irritated that this bug crashed and they lost all this data? You know what? Those things can happen. I mean, nobody's perfect. That stuff is going to happen sooner or later. And the only thing you can do is deal with it head on, accept that you made a mistake and move on. If you sit there and, and try and live in the past or in the future, you're not going to get anywhere. You can't sit there and just worry all the time about what happens if this? Well, you know what? Why are you thinking about that now? Why don't you continue living your life, moving on, doing your development, get past your launch, and then if that happens, then you worry about it. And I think maybe there's a difference between doing that versus if you have critical bugs in your software that you know is going to cause somebody's machine to crash and burn, yeah, you have to fix those before launch. But you can't just let the fear of having bugs in your code or the fear of people running into problems with your code take that as a reflection upon you because it's not a reflection on you. Everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes. And when you create bugs in your software, those are mistakes and they've got to be fixed. And getting over those fears is just a matter of accepting that that's going to happen and you can fix those bugs. You can move on and version two is going to be better than version one. Yeah, I think the two things that I think about when encountering fear like this is that, A, the first time you do anything, you're going to be scared. Like the first time you publish a single blog post, you're going to be scared. I was the first time I did it, the first time I published an essay and a bunch of people read it and people started ragging on it. I had anxiety about this. I mean, this is just naturally. The first time you record a podcast, you're going to have anxiety. The first time you speak at a user group, the first time you speak at a conference, Anytime you do something publicly, you are going to have some type of fear. There's some natural inclination in all of us that we feel like we're going to be judged by everyone. And whether it's realistic or not, knowing that the first time you do something, you are going to feel this anxiety and this fear is, I think, really helpful because then you can identify it very quickly and say, oh, this is that feeling again. It's that same old thing that comes very naturally. And, you know, I shouldn't be scared of it and I shouldn't let it talk me out of doing this thing. I've actually started following that fear. And this is a little bit like Seth Godin with the linchpin where he kept saying the lizard brain is this negative talk. And if you go towards the lizard brain, when the lizard brain talks to you and says, don't do this thing, you're typically stretching yourself and you're actually doing something good. You're actually moving in a direction that will grow who you are. And the second thing is that I think as software developers, most of us have this natural anxiety of wanting to be perfectionists. I was talking to a developer today and he said, yeah, I just, I want my software to be perfect. I know it's not going to be, but what if I launch it and there's a bunch of bugs in it? There's kind of two different types of people, right? There are the people who don't care enough and those people don't tend to be really good software developers. They don't tend to want to launch a software product. The ones who are doing this tend to be more of the perfectionists, tend to be more of the people who are stressing out about it, you know, and that's us. We have this anxiety that actually provides productivity. If you've ever heard of the Yerkes-Dodson curve, it's a psychology theory that anxiety helps you to a point, helps you be productive. And if you're not anxious at all about a deadline, it's very likely you're going to miss that deadline and that you're not going to be productive. And so anxiety, and which translates into fear, is actually a good thing to a certain extent. And it actually will make you perform better and, and do more work quicker, be more productive. 
I know what you're saying about being able to have a healthy dose of anxiety because I remember back in college, I used to feed off of deadlines like it was my job. I and mean, I guess kind of it was. But <laughs> the fact is that like if I had a deadline for a paper coming up or a project or something like that, as that deadline got closer and closer, I would just use it to energize myself and kind of really focus in on what it was that I had to do and what I had to get done. And somehow it just helped me to meet a lot of the deadlines. And don't get me wrong. I mean, there was a certain amount of procrastination in there. But I've also seen studies where that if you take uh, three groups of people and you give one a deadline at the end of the quarter or semester, and then you give another group of people regular deadlines throughout that time period, and you give, tell the third people they can create any di- deadlines they want, people will tend to procrastinate until the end. I would just feed off that natural energy for those deadlines. So for me, the anxiety, I think, helped a little bit. But you also have to be a little bit realistic about and keep it in your head. Am I actually going to meet this deadline or is it just a completely lost cause? Yeah, that's the thing with fear. And I'm kind of equating fear with anxiety because I think when you say fear, you think, you know, a lion is attacking us and anxiety is more of a realistic uh, explanation or a realistic description of of what we really feel when you're going to go up and speak in front of people or we're going to release a software product and maybe have someone say something bad about it or something. I think it's anxiety might be a better word for it. But there was a study, and of course, I wish I could quote it, but it was a study done at UC Berkeley and it compared the anxiety level the stress levels of cops who are working in East Oakland versus students during finals week. And the anxiety levels were actually higher in the students during finals week. And what that shows is that anxiety, a lot of it, if not all of it, is in your head. Some of it can be chemical as well, can be prone to be an anxious person, but a lot of it is is in your head. Ever since then, I have really learned to focus in on my anxiety and realize when it's coming and identify it and then do something more productive with it and allow it to motivate me rather than cause me to cave. I think you bring up an interesting point about the difference between fear and anxiety, though, because I think personally, I have my own fears and my fears tend to be more long term things that I'm afraid of happening. And then there are certain anxieties that I'll go through. I'm a pretty good public speaker, but I think everybody gets at least a little bit nervous when they're about to go up and do some sort of big presentation. But in terms of fears and stuff, one of my own fears is as the sole breadwinner of my family, my wife stays home with the kids so that I can go out and work. But one of my fears is what if my income stream come crashing to a halt and I'm not able to support my family? What if I'm on the road and something happens to me? Will my family be taken care of? How will that happen? How are they going to deal with that? And honestly, I generally don't worry about myself in terms of my health, but it doesn't mean that I didn't go out and buy a life insurance policy just to make sure that that sort of thing is taken care of. In terms of my income streams, I know that if it came down to it, I would do whatever needed to be done in order to make ends meet. I mean, if I had to go to Barnes & Noble and get a job stacking books or something like that, you know what? So be it. I'll do what it takes to take care of my family. But that's one of the long-term fears that I have. I don't really get anxious about those. I mean, I think about them, but I also think about how to deal with them and how to alleviate those things as concerns. What about you? 
I think the a long-term fear I have is the same thing. I mean, being that we're both self-employed, it's a reality that our income could be majorly impacted very quickly. And in fact, these last few months, I've talked about it due to the recession. There are several different income streams that I have that have substantially decreased 50% or more. And so I've kind of been staring it in the face, realizing, wow, if it continues like this, there's going to be some issues down the line uh, over the next few months. And so this is all happening right as I'm about to have my second child. So it's absolutely, I think, any entrepreneur, the fear of just making ends meet and continuing to have a, a solvent business is a valid fear. And it is for me as well. That's one of the things that I've heard from people as well. And, and I get asked that question, aren't you afraid of going out of business or this or that? And the way I see it, being self-employed actually gives me a certain amount of control over it because I am in control of my own destiny. I get to make the decisions that ultimately affect how I do in life. If I were working for some corporate employer someplace, they could decide to let everybody go on any given day, and there's literally nothing you can do about it. You think about it in terms of job security. Most people think of it that way, but you can also think of it in terms of financial security. You go to work for somebody, you're completely at their mercy in terms of your income. And sure, they can let you go, and then you can go find another job. But right now, it's hard to find jobs for most people. There's tons of people out of work, and the unemployment rate's really high. I look at that and say, well, you know what? I could either work for somebody else where I'm completely at their mercy, or I can work for myself where I'm at the mercy of my own bad decisions, so to speak. And honestly, to make the choice between those two, I'd rather work for myself any day of the week. Now, granted, you have to be making money in order to be able to do that sort of thing, but it's certainly an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I think you make a good point there. No matter which avenue you choose, whether you work for an employer or start your own company, you're going to have fear about something, right? You should have some fear that maybe you'll get laid off. Maybe the company will go out of business. You should have fear if you're an entrepreneur that maybe you won't make ends meet. So it's not like you can escape it by choosing one route over the other. I think people can talk themselves into not having fear if they work for an employer. I think you're kidding yourself, but by saying, oh, I'm not going to get laid off. You know, this company's never going to go out of business, those kinds of things. But I think that there are fears in really in any choice that you make. There's no way to escape the realities of what might happen. Right. One of the quotes that I keep, and it's actually sort of related to fear, this quote I keep actually on a post-it note right next to my monitor, and it reads, it is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. It was actually in a Star Trek The Next Generation episode from Patrick Stewart. I think it was in reference to Data was playing this game against somebody else, and he ended up losing to this other person, and he couldn't figure out how it was that he lost. And that's what Captain Picard told him. He's like, it's possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. And that's true in life as well. I mean, you can do all the right things and still come out at the end of the pack. There's times when there's absolutely nothing you can do, and you're going to lose. I mean, that, that's just a fact. I don't want people to think that you're going to lose every time, but there's always a chance that you could lose. And there's always a chance that you could fail at whatever it is you're doing. But if you're in control, if you're making those decisions, most people generally think they're smart people. They're going to make reasonably decent decisions. And you have to keep that in mind when you're going through those motions. You're going to make the right decision with the information that you have at the time. And if at the end of the day, you came out at the end of the pack, you have to kind of accept that and move on and say, okay, well, that was a learning experience and take that forward and go on with the next task. I mean, you can't let those things bother you. I mean, I know people who kind of let things bother them for years. I can think of one person in particular who's let things bother him for years and years and years. And you know what? He's never going to get past it. It, it hasn't happened yet. You can either let it get in your way of life or you can put it behind you and, and keep going. 
The other thing I like about that quote is I think it's a good reminder that you have to take risks in order to do something worthwhile. You have to take risks in order to start a company or even to have a child or buy a house. You know, any of these things that I personally hold dear and that other people may as well, you can't just stay in your safe zone all the time. And that's really what I take away from that quote is it's like you can make no mistakes and never do anything and still fail. If you decide, oh, well, I'm never going to get married because I might get hurt, never going to have a child because it's too hard, never going to buy a house because I don't want to take on the risk and never going to start a company in my life and my goals, I would consider myself that I would not have succeeded if I hadn't done these things. What I take away from that quote is that taking risks is a necessity if you are an ambitious person. And if you have goals, you're going to have to risk something to achieve those goals. And if you sit back and don't do it, that I would consider that failure, not taking the risks. And taking the risks doesn't mean you're guaranteed failure or success. It just means that you're taking those risks. You're kind of gambling either way, but honestly, it's not like the odds in Vegas. I mean, your odds are a lot better when you're putting that faith in yourself and your own decision-making powers as opposed to the dice or, or the roulette table at Vegas. I mean, it's, it's a completely different type of gambling, I'll say. It's calculated risks is what I'll call it. So with that, why don't we talk about six steps to dealing with that fear or anxiety? Well, step number one is to take small steps. If you try to leap out too far, if you try to start a huge company or try to start two companies at once, it can just be too much and it can overwhelm you pretty easily. So if you are the type of person that fear tends to hold you back, take a small step. Maybe instead of putting up a bunch of money or putting in a bunch of time in order to start a company, try to either start a smaller version of that or just do a little baby step of it. You know, Try to get that minimum viable product out and do some traffic testing and see what's going to happen. It's a much smaller step, but can still help move you in the direction of, say, starting a company. The other thing you could do is if you're trying to get into, for example, product marketing, you don't necessarily have a product yet. You could sign up for any number of affiliate programs like Amazon.com's got one where you can become an affiliate to sell their books. And by referring traffic back to them, if those people buy things from Amazon, you get credits for those. Well, that's a very small thing, and I'll be perfectly honest and say I don't think that you're going to make a lot of money from it, but you will probably learn quite a bit from it. And you can use that to help yourself as a baby step to become a better marketer, for example. Step number two is to get some concrete motivation in the right direction. What this really means is that if you're trying to do something, find somebody else who's done that and kind of pick their brain, get some help from them, ask them how they did it, ask them how they dealt with their fear or their anxiety about it. So if it's, for example, public speaking, you can go talk to somebody else who does public speaking for a living or join Toastmasters or something along those lines. I mean, you really need to find somebody else who can talk to you about it or you can talk to them about it and ask them questions and really get down to the bottom of what it is that you're afraid of and have them help motivate you in the right direction. Step three is to look at failure and rejection in a new light. And what we mean by that is instead of taking failure and rejection as a negative thing, realize that it does tend to be a valuable learning experience. Mike and I have already talked in a previous episode about whether failure is a learning experience or not, or you should only have successes or the whole discussion of that. Both of us you know, believe pretty firmly that you will learn from your failures and that rejections will ultimately teach you to overcome these hurdles that you're facing. 
I know that every time I've faced rejection, it's impacted me. But the more that I face, the less each of them impact me. I think becoming aware that failure and rejection are going to be inevitable as you do anything that has risk in it. I think becoming aware of that is a big part of it because then once it comes, you're much less surprised by it. And there's obviously different levels of that failure and rejection. Rob and I had also talked before about when we first started getting into AdWords and we blew in, in excess of $1,000 a piece in the first month of doing our AdWords campaigns. Don't get me wrong, $1,000 is not pocket money or anything to be blowing on AdWords. But you know what? I've made some much, much greater financial mistakes than that in the past. And you know, you just kind of take them with a grain of salt and say, look, you know what? I understand what happened and it's not something I would repeat but you learn from those things. Number four is to not get too caught up in the past or in the future. You really need to keep your mind working in the here and now. And what I mean by that is if you've made mistakes in the past, don't dwell on them because it's certainly not going to help you. It's just going to drag you down. It's going to drag your morale down and you're going to be constantly thinking about them. And what that will do as a byproduct is basically distract you from the things that you have going on today. So while you're doing that, you're basically dividing your mind while half of it's saying, oh my God, I can't believe that thing that I did last Thursday or three years ago and, and it still haunts me to this day. And it's like, well, you know what? Everybody makes mistakes and how you deal with them is just as important as the things that you take from them. And similarly, you can't worry too much about what's going on in the future. If you've got some problem that you think is going to come up in the future, and, and I'll go back to the one I mentioned before about I travel a fair amount for my job, and what happens if I'm on a flight and the plane goes down? Now, granted, the chances of that happening are pretty slim to none, but you know what? It could happen. So what did I do? I went out and I got a, a hefty life insurance policy, and if something does happen to me, at least I know that my family is going to be taken care of. It's all about mitigating those risks risks so that you can take your mind off of those fears and put them together and focus on what it is that you're doing today. Step five is that things don't happen overnight and that you need to keep working at it. Bottom line is that fear goes away the more times you do something. If you have a fear of public speaking, the more times you do it, it's going to get better. And if you have a fear of publishing a blog post, if it takes you 10 hours and 20 edits to get a 500-word post out, you need to do it more. You'll get a little better at it, but you'll get over the fear that it has to be perfect. And if it takes you 20 hours to build a website, so the bottom line is it's not very complex. You're going to be scared the first time you do something, and you need to do it over and over if it's worth it to you to actually get good at something. And the sixth step to dealing with fear is to get a sanity check from someone else. Whenever you're working on something, whether it's your software or a blog post or a piece of marketing collateral or a press release, anything along those lines, anything related to your business or even in your personal life, just get a sanity check from someone else. And it can be a close friend. It can be someone who barely knows you. And I had somebody contact me who said, hey, I'd like to get your input on something because I don't talk to you very much and you don't know anybody that I know. So it'd be great to hear from you about you know what you think of this and that's a perfect scenario where you can get that sanity check from someone else with virtually no fear of anyone else being I guess informed about what your fears are one of the things that Rob and I actually used to do probably five six years ago something like that when we were first getting our blog started we we actually started sending some of our blog posts back and forth just to get a kind of a sanity check on it to say hey what do you think of this article what do you think of the wording of this does this strike a chord 
is it just too bland, et cetera? And we did that for, what was it, like six months or something like that? And then we just kind of, you know, went off our separate ways. But, and by that time, we'd kind of gotten over our fears about doing any sort of blog posts and publicly voicing what our thoughts and opinions were. I think we did it for closer to a year, actually. I think it was certainly was helpful for me. I think it improved the work that both of us produced as well as, you know, at least from my perspective, it reduced the anxiety I had when I went to publish something because I knew that someone had already looked at it pretty critically. And so if I sent it over and you kind of said, nah, this is not very good or there's a big flaw in this logic, then I would rewrite that piece. And then when I posted it, I knew that, you know, it had essentially had a sanity check done to it and it really reduced the fear that I was going to get slammed online. So to recap, the six steps to dealing with fear are, number one, take small steps. Number two, get some concrete motivation in the right direction. Number three, see failure and rejection in a new light. Number four, don't get caught up in the past or the future, work in the here and now. Number five, keep working at it. Things don't happen overnight. And number six, get a sanity check from someone else. So thanks to both Jonah and Troy. If you have a question or comment, please call it in to our voicemail number at one 801 9690 or you can email at an MP3 or text format to questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider writing a review in iTunes by searching for startups. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or via RSS at startupsfortherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt of We're Out of Control by Moot, used under Creative Commons. A full transcript of this podcast is available at our website, startupsfortherestofus.com. We'll see you next time.